about these people, Lord Jesus, hearing my voice. I care nothing about teaching them this morning. We must, Lord, come to a place where we recognize that you want to speak to us, that you love us, that you're close to us, that you're involved in our lives. And Lord, if you'll just help us to to focus on you and concentrate on you, give us ears to hear you, eyes to see you. Lord, give us hearts to receive from you. I pray that you would use this time in our lives to change us, to mold us, to shape us. This this passage of Scripture that we look at this morning, Lord Jesus, is, is, uh, is your very words to us. May we consume them. and May they change us for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love, love, love the song that the group just did. Um, it's a reminder to me that I experience, my soul experiences thirst, and it experiences that every day. Your soul experiences thirst, and it experiences that every day. There's this, this desire, this, this need for some type of, of something to come and satisfy And I believe that the Scriptures teach us that there's really only a couple of places, there's really only two places that we can can seek for satisfaction, and of those two places, only one satisfies. That's what the words of that song we're talking about when it says, the world will leave you empty. It'll try, but it will leave you empty. I'm going to start this morning uh, in the book of Galatians. It gives us a, a picture of these, of these two dynamics, of these two sources of nourishment for our souls. It gives us a picture of, the, of these two things that we run to one or the other to experience satisfaction in our souls. It's in Galatians chapter 5, and it begins in the 16th verse. I believe this will be on the screen for you. Walk by the Spirit. I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. There's two sources, flesh and Spirit. The world and Jesus. And it says that these things are against one another. They're opposed to one another. The flesh against the spirit and the desires of the spirit against the flesh. They're opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. That's the flesh. The things that I want to do, that's my flesh. And they have to be overridden in my life, in my intimacy with God, in my relationship with God, in my experience with God, My desires have to be overridden by His desires for me. His desires would control my life. His desires would dictate the decisions that I make. His desires would guide me and lead me. His desires would fill me and satisfy me and nourish me. That His desires would quench the thirst of my soul. I can try to quench the thirst of my soul with my desires but I find it wanting. I find it leaving me uh, continuing, continuing to thirst. The works of the flesh are evident. 
depending upon what source I go to for nourishment, that will dictate what my life looks like. That will dictate the fruit that I display. Either it will be the fruit of the flesh, or it will be the fruit of the Spirit. Being a follower of Jesus Christ, it is my desire that the fruit that's displayed in my life be the fruit of the Spirit. But that's not always the case in my life. It's not the case in my life when I yield His desires to my desires and my desires begin to take over in my life. He says this, that, that, that when, when I give way to my desires, I display the fruit of the flesh. And he says this, the works of the flesh, the fruit of the flesh, what's displayed by the flesh are evident. It's sexual immorality, it's impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, that's hate, that's, that's war, it's strife, it's jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envying, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. You know what I'm talking about. You know what the fruit of the flesh looks like when it's displayed in your life. He says this, I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This, this sense that this, this display of fruit is displeasing to God and not caring about that. That's not someone who's attached to the true vine. But a, a challenge, a conviction, a, an awareness from the Spirit that we're bearing a fruit that's displeasing to Him calls us to a place of decision. He gives us a description of the fruit of the flesh, and then He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, in verse 22, is love and joy, peace and patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And a critical verse. Those who belong to Christ Jesus crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. He gives us instruction right there about how we allow the fruit of the Spirit to be displayed in our life. We do that by crucifying or dying or surrendering my desires to His. And it's something that we do not once a day, but moment by moment. It's an attitude of our heart. This is critical for all those in this room who want to experience all Jesus wants to do in you. That wants to experience, you have a desire to experience Him in His fullness. This understanding of crucifying my desires so that His desires are preeminent in my life. They are opposed to one another. 
But because I'm attached to the true vine, I'm a branch that's attached to the true vine, I have the resource to be able to crucify my flesh. I can't do that without him. can't do that unless I'm attached to the true vine. I believe that's the essence of what Jesus is trying to teach in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. He is teaching his disciples. He's saying to them, look, I'm leaving, but I'm, before I leave, I'm going to teach you how to live. This is my prescription for living. This is how to live. And he teaches them that through an illustration. He says in John chapter 15 and verse 1, I am the true vine. Look, I think that reiterates. You want nourishment for your soul? You need to go to the true vine. There's a whole bunch of different fake vines out there, and your flesh will point you to those. There's a whole bunch of of fake things that you think will satisfy. Maybe you think religion will satisfy. It won't satisfy. That's not the true vine. That's a fake vine. Maybe you think success will satisfy. Maybe you think finances will satisfy. Maybe you think uh, 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 people liking you will satisfy. There's a whole bunch of false vines that our flesh points us to, but Jesus wants us to understand that He's the source of quenching our thirst and only Him. That's why He says, look, I'm the true vine. What's a vine do? It offers nourishment to the branches. Jesus says, I'm the only one who can really do that. Real important that we receive that and we we make that a part of our belief system. I believe that. I believe that Jesus is my only source of satisfaction. He's my only source of, of quenching the thirst. I'm the true vine, he says. My father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. He oversees it all. He inspects. He inspects the the fruit trees. He inspects the vineyard. Every branch in me that's attached to me, that's connected to me, every branch that's in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We looked at that last week. Remember, this isn't a chop you off and you're no good anymore. You're dead and gone. It's more of a he ministers to. It's more of a he lifts up. It's more of a he cleans off. It's more of his mercy. It's more of his grace. It's more of his second chance. That's what that word means so so we're not bearing any fruit jesus comes the vine the vine comes and and ministers to us god the father the the gardener he comes and he he ministers to us and it says every branch that does bear fruit he prunes he re reprioritizes uh or he reshapes their priorities He gets involved in their life. This is a branch that's bearing fruit. When he's talking about fruit here in this passage, he's talking about spiritual fruit that we just saw in Galatians 5.22. If you're not bearing spiritual fruit, he offers ministry, he offers forgiveness, he offers healing. If you're bearing fruit, he prunes because he desires that we bear more, what? Spiritual fruit. When I use the word bear, I, I, I like to think of it as display. For some reason, the, the word bear gives me the connotation of burden. I've got to bear it. 
But display is what he's trying to get across here. That my life displays a certain kind of fruit. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? That it might bear more fruit. He wants them to understand in verse 3, you are clean already. You're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He's talking to believers. He's talking to the Christian. You're a believer this morning. Your faith and trust in Jesus, what he did for you on Calvary, transformed your life, changed you, saved you, forgave you, made you a new creation. You're that way because you received his truth. His word is truth. You received his truth. You believed his truth. You embraced his truth. Now you walk in his truth. That's who he's talking to. The Christian, the believer, listen, it's real important that you understand that this message is to the believer. You are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I produce the fruit, he says. You display the fruit. I produce the fruit. You display the fruit. Verse 5 really is the key to the whole passage, I think. I am the vine, Jesus says. I'm the true vine. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. There's this idea of abiding that's brought up. He's gone from no fruit to fruit, from fruit to more fruit, from more fruit to much fruit. And he is, he is showing us this is how to live. This is how, how, how we're to live. This is our, our greatest life. That in order that we would display much fruit, that we have to abide in him. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from the true vine, you can do nothing. Nothing of spiritual value, nothing of eternal value. We can work real hard in our flesh to be a really good person. It accomplishes nothing spiritually. It accomplishes nothing eternally. Only, listen, this is a big thing. Only by abiding in Jesus do we display fruit only in abiding in him is he able to use us for spiritual value and eternal value. Otherwise, it doesn't. So I wonder if there's people in this room, like I often experience myself, where I rely on my own ability to produce fruit. That's not my job to produce fruit. I rely on myself, and I work hard and sweat, and I get very tired because I need the results to be there. And Jesus says to me, you're not displaying any fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Quit doing it yourself. Come abide in me. Let me do that through you. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that I might learn, that we might learn together what that means in an extremely practical way. Verse 6, the scary, scary verse, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. We'll talk about that. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's a tough verse to misinterpret. I mean, it's pretty clear. It's plain. It's an incredible promise. This is a promise. Jesus is speaking. He's not trying to trick you here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I think that's the twelfth time he uses the word abide. These things have I spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What is this abide all about? What does it look like? How do I experience it? It's obviously an extremely valuable part of my spiritual journey. He makes some promises that are connected to abide that are just overwhelming. They blow your mind. He uses the illustration of the grapevine. He says, and I'm going to, this isn't a grapevine, this is a fruit tree. It's a little baby fruit tree. We're going to act like it's a grapevine. This is the true vine right here. This will be the trunk of a mature tree one day if I don't kill it. And the odds are I will. This is the true vine. This is uh, Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. This is a source of nourishment. He says, my father's the gardener. He's the vine dresser. He's the one with the shears. He uses these shears because he loves us. The father inspects the fruit. He inspects the vineyard. He inspects the orchard. He inspects the, the trees. Because he loves us, he involves himself in our life. His desire is that we bear much fruit. He's talking about spiritual fruit. It says in that passage of Scripture that every vine is pruned. That, that the gardener never looks at a vine and says, that vine's not going to ever need to be pruned again. Every vine is pruned. Why? Because he loves us. How does he want that to manifest itself? He wants us to display fruit, much fruit. What does that look like? That's love and joy and peace. You want that? He wants to do a work in our lives. He wants to change who we are. Pruning is a necessary part of that. Every gardener prunes. There are no exceptions. And he comes and he inspects and he sees that there is a branch on this tree, this fruit tree, that's not looking too good. That's a shabby looking branch. Something needs to be done to make that branch fruitful. And the fruit that it presents, the fruit that it displays, the fruit that it bears, needs to be spiritual fruit. And so God, who is the gardener, prunes it. He cuts it off. Now, it's real important that you understand this, and it's the only reason that I show this to you in this way. Is the branch that was pruned by the gardener, God, is it dead now? 
No. There it is right there. Has it lost its salvation? No. There it is right there. The branch is still attached, connected to the true vine. What God has removed is that uselessness part of the branch. He has come in, he has come in and he has, he has involved himself in my life. Pruning is painful. Always. It's always painful. It hurts. But God allows these kind of experiences in our lives because He loves us, and it's hard for us to associate pain with love. But it's very real, and probably each one of you have experienced this sometime in your life. I can tell you, I know this to be true, that the greatest spiritual growth that we experience in our lives comes out of a painful experience. No painful experience, very little growth, if any at all. Pruning is necessary, and pruning is painful. A real quick story. I, I remember when I was just a little boy. I was in the fifth grade, and my little brother Daryl was in the first grade. And it was, a, it was in the middle of the winter, and, and our heat in our house went out. We, we, this is a old. This is a long time ago. This is an old, old house. We we had a door in our kitchen. You could open the door and go into the kitchen. It's not like the open floor plans of today. So what we did when the heat went out in the middle of the winter, it's cold, 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 is we closed the door to the kitchen and turned the stove on full blast, oven, burners, everything. That was our source of heat. So we'd get up. It'd be real cold. We'd run into the kitchen and we'd, you know, we'd we, we'd uh, we'd warm up. That morning, a certain morning, it was a Sunday morning actually, my little brother Daryl, six years old I think, had on his flannel pajamas, wanted to get warm in the kitchen, he backed up to the stove, you know what I'm going to say, and his flannel pajamas caught on fire. He saw the flame and began to run, which spread the fire. Third degree burns all over his back. Third-degree burns on half of his chest. Rushed to the hospital. In the hospital for two weeks. They sent him home from the hospital, and they gave us instructions about how we were to care for him. One of the things that we had to do was twice every single day, we had to clean his burns. It's a kind of a scraping thing that you have to do. It cleans all the dead skin off of the burns. And then after you finish doing that, you take, I don't know what it was, antiseptic, some kind of thing that prevents germs and disease, and you spray his back. And it's really painful. Every time that spray hits his back, he would, you know, he would yell out and he would, he would cry. He's six years old. And I had to do that. I had to do that some. We all pitched in. We all helped. And there were times when I'd take that spray and and, it, and I felt horrible about it. I thought, though, to myself, I'm hurting him, but I have got to do this. If I don't do this, he won't get well. I think that's a little bit how God is with us. I don't want to do this. I've got to do this. 
I want you to get well. I want you to display spiritual fruit. Not just some, not just more, but much spiritual fruit. It's going to require pain. Pruning is painful. But in the process of pruning, the branch is never disconnected from the vine. And that's the part that I really want you to get this morning. Now, it's in this pruning process that we come to a place in our spiritual experience that we have to make a choice. I think every believer, if a true believer, when you go through a painful process, you run to Jesus. More prayer takes place because of pain that we're experiencing than any other time. That's a shame, but it's the truth. Jesus, help me. Jesus, take this away. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, reconcile my marriage. Jesus, change this. Jesus, get me out of this mess. Jesus, please help me pay my bills this month. Jesus, do this. Jesus, do this. Jesus, do this. At the end of that period of time, we make a choice whether or not we're going to stay wholly dependent on him or, the, or whether or not we are going to go and be wholly dependent on ourselves. When we choose to stay and be wholly dependent on him, that's abiding. That's being with him. That is, is uh, remaining, remaining with him. So, so the pruning process is to bring us to a place of abiding. Abiding is staying with Him. Abiding is remaining with Him. Here is a definition of abiding, and then we'll talk about abiding we'll be done. Here's a definition of abiding. It's our best response to pruning, and every branch is pruned. It allows the sap... From the true vine, the sap is the Holy Spirit. The true vine is Jesus. It allows the sap from the true vine to flow into the branch so that the branch is transformed. That branch that's been pruned will grow again. It will display fruit. If we are abiding it will display spiritual fruit. If we're not abiding, it will display the fruit of the flesh. Abiding is our best response to his pruning. Abiding works its work in us so that it changes us. Abiding makes us not do things, but be somebody. It's our identity. So it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. And abiding transforms you into the person God wants you to be. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness. Those aren't things that I do. Those are things that I am. That's, that's what God wants to make me. 
He wants other people to see that in my life. Not so much by what I do, but by who I am. It's my identity. That's, that's what comes forth. And abiding is a tool that's used by the gardener to bring us to a place of displaying spiritual fruit. It's the Holy Spirit running from Jesus into me. And it only happens when I abide. So let's talk about abiding. First, I want to talk about the person of abiding. abiding. We, many of us, and we all need to work on this. I need to work on this. I need to grow in this. I need to have an understanding that God, my relationship with God, that he's a person. When I'm reading the scripture, I need to think of that about, as a person that is, that is communicating to me. It's a person. He's my best friend. Jesus is my best friend. No longer do I call you slaves, he says. I call you friends. A slave doesn't understand what the master's doing. I want to give you everything the Father has given me. Jesus says it right there in this passage of Scripture. I want to share that with you. My words, they need to fill you. He's a, he's a person that involves himself in my life. I ask myself the question, why is it? What hinders me from seeing him that way and experiencing him that way as a person? We talk about God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, experience his love, embrace his love, uh, admit, acknowledge that he loves you. I think that's different than, than thinking that he likes you. God likes you. God desires that you come and be with him. God wants you to do that. And, and we have this image in our mind of, of going and spending time with God. It's the same feeling that we get when we were kids and we were sent to the principal's office. You know that yucky feeling? He's going to tell me everything that I've done wrong. He's going to threaten me. He's going to cut me off. He's going to send me home. He's going to, you know, it, and that's not the image. That's not the experience that God wants us to have with him. You know, the boss wants to see you. But that's not the image that God wants us to have. Imagine uh, your best friend. You, you, you have someone that you're just really, really close to. You look forward to your time together. You know that that friend is, is going to love you unconditionally. That friend's going to accept you. That, that it's going to be an encouraging time, an energizing time. When you leave a, a time together with that friend, you leave refreshed, you leave empowered, you leave feeling good. God wants us to have that kind of relationship with Him. He calls us friend. Come to me. I think that, that, that our perception of, of what He wants when He calls us hinders us from freely going, running to His arms, crawling up in His lap, spending time with Him. I need this kind of relationship with God. It's deep. It's constant. But we don't pursue it much. We don't pursue it like we should. I, don't, I think we, we don't think he likes us. He's a person. He's a person. He's your best friend. He's your most important relationship. Some principles of abiding. First, 
that time that I spend with him, I need to deepen the quality of that time. I, I have to be careful here not to confuse this with some kind of duty that I have to do. With some kind of ritual that has to take place in my life for an hour every morning. There are spiritual disciplines in our life that we should exercise, like, like reading our Bible and having a prayer life. But I don't want you to confuse those with abiding. You, you understand, don't you? You can read a book about somebody every single morning for the next 20 years and not grow in your knowledge of them and not really know them. Abiding is about knowing Jesus on an experiential way. It's about the reality of a person pouring himself into you. Now look, that's going to happen a lot through your study of the Word. But if, it, if we're doing that because it's something we have to do, we're not going to understand the connection there. We're not going to understand the relationship there. We're not going to understand interaction there. And we're not going to really grow in our understanding of who he is and how much he loves us and what he wants to do in our lives. We've got to deepen that time that we spend with God. I want you, I want you to know that that, that at that time of pruning, there comes a time when you have to say, as a result of that pruning, I, I want this to result in me abiding. Abiding in Jesus. Abiding in His love. I want to experience that. And so, it's a conscious decision. It's something I have to plan. I've got to set aside some time. I want to be with Him. I want to experience Him. Not because I have to, but because I get to. Not, not because He's... He, he's, it's some kind of ritual, but because he's my friend, because he's a person, because he loves me, because he wants to pour himself into me. I, I want to set aside a time that I do that. I, I, maybe I'll keep a, a journal of some of the things that he's teaching me, or some of the ways that he's changing me, or some of the ways that he's using me. I'm going to use that time to talk and to listen to and to interact with a person. I, I want to I tell you that one of the things that that I'm challenged with in this is that we have this preconceived idea of what this abiding experience is all about. And it's a temptation for me to say, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to get up every morning. Get up a little early. Jesus is worth that. You need to get up a little early and you need to open your Bible and you need to spend time with Him. But I've come to, 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 to learn that, that we're all different. And for some people, that's what they want to do. That's, that, that's how they abide. That's... That's how they experience. But let me tell you, that's almost impossible for me. I'm just not built that way. I'm not wired that way. The fact of the matter is, I can't sit still for 10 minutes. I can open up the Bible and I can read a verse and man, it'll touch me and it'll move me and i got to get up. And I start walking around. I start talking to myself. I start thinking about you. i got to tell them this. They're going to love this. This is going to make a difference in their life. Before you know it, I'm, I'm off in some la-la land somewhere. I've read one verse. We all have different ways that we experience the reality of God's love and presence in our life. For me, it's music. I love music. I slip the headphones on. You know what? I can sit for hours and hours and hours and listening 
to good music that is singing truths about Jesus, about God, that helps me get to know Him, that helps me get to experience Him. Please don't misunderstand. Music can't take the place of the Bible. But this is my intimate time. Man, I can sit there and tears just flowing down my face. And man, I see Him. I sense His presence. I'm learning all kind of stuff about Him. I have to make myself get up and go to bed because I don't want to quit listening. I don't listen to music. All the music that we sing here on Sunday mornings, as much as I love it. You know, I, I put on the Bill Gaither Trio. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Truth. The Imperials. You know? I see the, oh man, it just, it moves me. What's your, what, what, what's your preferred way of being with Jesus in a, in, a, in an experience that's real? What's your preferred way? Is it in the car, driving to work? Man, you just know you're going to set that time aside. And you're, you're, going to, you're going to be with Jesus. You're going to listen to him. Maybe it's a friend that you meet with. And y'all talk about scripture that's, that, that you're learning about. There's all kinds of different ways. I want you to talk about this in your life groups this week. Here's how I do it. It'll help other people. This has been my experience. This is, I tried to do it this way. It didn't work for me. It's an abiding experience. What's your way? Now listen carefully. Abiding is not something that you do an hour a day. So a principle of abiding is that we have to broaden that time, that devoted time, taking it from an appointment that we have to an all-day experience. This is key. When I take the headphones off, I don't want to leave my time with Jesus there on the desk when I walk away. I want to take him with me. True abiding is an experience that we have throughout the day. It is it is experiencing His presence. It's experiencing His love. It's experiencing His involvement. It's experiencing His guidance and direction. It's His desire for you. It's His intent for you. It's truly what abiding is all about. Moms, when you're putting away groceries and the kids are going crazy, you can be abiding during that time. You can abide with Him during that time. Businesswoman, businessman, you're preparing to meet a client. You can abide during that preparation time. Student, you're sitting in a boring lecture. You can be with Jesus during that time. It's just a sense of his presence. It's a sense of his love. It's a sense of his involvement. He's right there. It's, a, it's, it's being connected to him. It's remaining in him. It's experiencing him. There's some, there's some barriers to abiding I think one of the barriers is that we have these misconceptions, and a misconception that we have about abiding is that it's based on emotion. It's an emotional experience. Misconception doesn't have to be. The fact of the matter is it's, it's based on fact, not emotion. That God is real, that God is near, that God loves me. And so whether or not I feel like it, I can experience his presence. Because it's a fact. When I'm, when I'm not feeling good, when I've got bad news, when I'm down in the dumps, he's still right there. I can still experience him. It's not an emotional high. There's no tears there, necessarily. But it's a, it's a fact. 
you experience this in your marriage. You're married. You're married. You're connected to one another. But having an argument with your spouse and having a candlelit dinner with your spouse is two totally different experiences, but they're both experiences. The fact is you're married, that you're connected to one another, that you experience one another. It doesn't have to be emotional. It has to be a reality in our lives. Another misconception. I can continue to abide in Jesus without obeying Him. No, Jesus says very, very clearly, if you want to abide in me, you've got to obey me. It needs to be a desire of our heart. This is an area where I have to, I, I have to crucify my desires. You can enjoy an emotional experience here in the worship service on Sunday morning. Mountaintop experience, emotional high. You sense the presence of Jesus. You experience his presence. You sense him being involved in your life and teaching you things. He reveals to you some things in, in your life. He goes, you know, you, let's change that. Maybe you make a commitment that you're going to and you leave here, but you never do. It's impossible to abide with that kind of lifestyle. You can't abide. And if you're not abiding, you're not producing spiritual fruit. You're producing fruit. You're, you're, you're displaying fruit. It's the fruit of the flesh and not the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the, uh, the sum up. Abiding is something that we do. We, we, we choose. I, I'm gonna, I want to abide. I want that to be my experience. But yet, it's not a contradiction when I say to you that working less for Him plus spending more time with Him equals much fruit. It's not about my performance and it's not about working. As a matter of fact, it's about doing less and spending more time with Him. This only works in God's economy. This is, this is God's math. We can be more productive for the kingdom when we slow down and recognize the value of abiding. I'm in full-time ministry. There's a lot of people in this room that are in full-time ministry. We struggle with this. we got to work the plan, man. we got to see results. And I think that Jesus sometimes says, why don't you just come sit with me? Why don't you abide? Why don't we be together? What, what he does in us during those times of intimacy will result in, in a greater harvest in much fruit, abiding helps us sense God's direction for our lives. Am I in God's will? Are you abiding? Because we begin to get clarity on how he wants to use us and what he wants to do in our lives when we abide with him, when we remain with him, when we're connected with him, when we're with him and experiencing his presence. Abiding helps us tap into all of God's spiritual blessings. You want that? Here's a, here's a story of abiding. Real fast, I'm done. Acts chapter 4. John and Peter. They preach this incredible message. 5,000 people get saved. The religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day, get really ticked off. They call John and Peter in front of them. 
John and P- Peter are standing in front of them, and here's what they think of John and Peter. When they, the Pharisees, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. That's abiding. They had been with Jesus. That was this this lifestyle for them. Boldness, power, confidence, faith, love, patience, persistence. That's the spiritual blessing that we begin to experience, that we have in our lives through abiding. Abiding gives us the rest that we need to bear a much greater yield. It's through abiding that we rest. Abiding carries with it the promise of answered prayer. I'll never get over this. If you abide in me, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. That's because that when we abide, God begins to turn our desires into His desires. This is what I want for you. That, 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 that begins to be my desire, and I pray and ask Him for that, and He says, it's yours, you can have it, I want you to have it. I've been waiting for you to ask. Powerful prayer life. Abiding. We're going to learn more about abiding. God, the gardener, actually gives us help in abiding. But we got to get this. I, I, I want to go from abiding being my morning devotion to abiding being my lifestyle. I, I want to experience His presence in my life. I want Him to change me. This is absolutely necessary. It's essential if we're going to experience His power in our lives. I'm telling you, you cannot experience His power without abiding. I want you to talk about this in your life groups. I'm excited about life groups this week. I want you to have a sense of transparency. I want you to talk about your abiding experience. Maybe you'll say, I've never had an abiding experience. I don't know what that's all about. First time I've ever heard about it. There will be some that will say, let me tell you how God has has taken me through this process and and evolved me into a place of true lifestyle abiding. I want you to share that with one another. I want you to talk about the illustration of the the branch and it being connected to the vine and and what it means when it's pruned and what that pruning experience takes us to. I want you to be able to discuss that. I hope you'll do that. I think you'll run out of time. And it'll be be an extremely valuable and beneficial time you this is real life it's every day it's relevant if you have kids in k through five once again this morning you're going to be given the sheet of paper this is what they were taught today please take the time to spend with your kids ask them what did you learn here's some questions to help you you can ask them these questions you can talk about it i promise you this it'll be an experience they will never forget They'll be talking about it when they're in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and their 50s. You'll be long gone, but they'll still be talking about it. Kids, just remember these times. I hope that you'll do that and you'll help them as well in their spiritual understanding and experience. Let me invite you to stand. Lord Jesus, thank you. You have not abandoned me. You don't expect me to live this life according to my own strength. But you want to live this life through me. You want to live this life through me.
teach me more about what it means to abide. I'm, I'm very bad at this, Jesus. You know I am. But I want to grow in this. I want this to be my lifestyle. I pray for every individual in this room. Reveal yourself to them, Lord Jesus. Give them clarity in what you desire. Give them boldness to say yes. Change us, I pray in your name. Amen.